0: through to verse 10 we've seen in chapter 18 that Babylon has been destroyed and so there is much rejoicing in heaven at the destruction of Babylon chapter 19 also spoke as we saw last week of the return of the Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus who's pictured as the rider on the white horse this divine figure whose name is the Word of God and I said to you last week that John no doubt uh, recalls what he has written in his gospel in speaking of Jesus as the Word of God indicating that he is divine that he is God himself and that is one of the reasons we uh, recited the Nicene Creed uh, because that's what the Nicene Creed affirms Uh, The creed was formulated in 325 in the city of Nicaea, which is modern-day Turkey in the city of Isnik. Uh, A controversy had arisen because of the nature of Christ. Uh, This guy Arius, a priest, had created this controversy, understanding that Christ is a created being and he wasn't divine as such. If Jesus and the Father are both eternal and uncreated, then how can you say that there's only one God? And his answer was that there was a time when Christ was not. In other words, he was created. Athanasius, um, a Christian theologian, saw that Arius' teaching was unscriptural and he argued that if Jesus is not eternally God, how could it be right to worship him? as the book of Revelation has constantly pointed out and we've seen that. How can his death and resurrection save us if he is not divine and he is not the eternal Son of God? And so representatives of the early church met in Nicaea to wrestle with this issue and they reaffirmed the teaching of Scripture that Jesus is of the same essence or same nature as God himself, fully God and fully man. And so we come to uh, these verses in chapter 19 and Jesus points us to the hope of the gospel in it as we look forward to what we've just been singing about also, the wedding feast of the Lamb, that which is yet to come. Let me lead you in prayer as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that part of that hope is the hope of heaven. And we pray that as we come to consider these things this morning that you'll be pleased to speak into our hearts and minds that we might receive it and embrace it and in so doing bring glory to jesus by our lives we ask in his name amen so reading then from revelation 19 verses 5 through to verse 10 john has seen that there's much rejoicing in heaven this great multitude And now he continues in verse five, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah for our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God at this I fell at his feet to worship him but he said to me don't do that I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus amen there are certain uh, events or happenings in our lives which stay with us for the rest of our lives, events and happenings which are etched into our memory, events that we remember for the rest of our lives. Events, for example, uh, such as the birth of a child or the death of someone who's near and dear to us or perhaps our wedding day, uh, which is also an event which we will remember and there's a mugshot of some of the guys in the office, including myself on our wedding day, and these these events, they make uh, an indelible mark on our lives, don't they? For example, the wedding, a wedding is an event of excitement and great celebration, and it's always interesting to attend a wedding of someone from a different culture, where people have different ways of celebrating their marriages, I introduce it in that why because our passage speaks about a wedding celebration. You can take that off, Sam, we don't want them focusing on that, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, our passage today is, uh, speaks of a wedding celebration, and it's a very different one. It's different, for example, in the sense that there is one bridegroom and a multitude of people who make up the bride. It's referred to as the wedding supper of the Lamb. And here Jesus is identified as the bridegroom, of course, and his church, his people, are his bride. And it's significant that this wedding feast is called the marriage feast of the Lamb. Why isn't it the marriage feast of the Lord, or even the marriage of Christ? And it's probably because the Lamb's Bride is the Church and it highlights the fact that Jesus, the Lamb, loves the Church and He gave Himself up for the Church. He died as a sacrificial lamb to pay for her redemption and right through the scripture we can read of the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God. For example, in the Old Testament, Prior to the incarnation, prior to Jesus being born, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 spoke of him as the lamb. He said he was a lamb led to the slaughter. Or the prophet, or or John the Baptist, during the ministry of Jesus, before Jesus began his ministry. John introduced Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here this feast is the marriage feast of the lamb. Now also notice that this feast is set in the context of eternity. It's in the context of heaven. Last week I pointed out that world history will conclude with a wedding. And it will be with this wedding supper of the Lamb. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to consider what John is saying about this wedding supper of the Lamb in verses 7 to 9 in particular. And Jesus himself spoke about this wedding supper of the Lamb. He didn't put it in those terms, but that's exactly what he was referring to. For example, in that reading we had that Belinda direct to us from uh, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the wine until that day, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom he was referring to the wedding feast of the lamb now follow carefully I want to explain what a Jewish wedding and how it works and you'll see how it relates to the gospel and what I will point out a few moments later during the time of Jesus when a Jewish couple decided to get married the first step of course was the engagement or the Is that right Sean Sean has just got engaged, but that's fine. And this engagement was considered more binding than our engagements today. What happened was the terms of marriage were accepted before witnesses, and God's blessing was pronounced on the couple. And from that day, the groom and his bride were considered as legally husband and wife. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2 and then there was this interval between the engagement and the wedding and the wedding feast and during that interval of time the groom would pay the dowry to the father of the bride. Sometimes that dowry could be in the form of some work uh, that the bridegroom would do and so on but when the wedding day came The groom would leave his home and he would get all spruced up and together with his friends, he would proceed to the house of his fiance. And along the way, the friends together with the groom would sing while waving torches and so on. In the meantime, the bride is in her home and she must make herself ready. Revelation 19 and verse 8. The bridegroom would go to the bride's house and he would receive the bride. And then they would walk back together in procession, together with his friends and all the others who were coming to the feast, back to his home or to his parents' home. And if he lived a long distance away from his fiance, the feast would at times be in the bride's house, in the bride's home. And so this wedding feast would take place, which included the marriage supper, and the party would last for at least seven days. A wedding party for seven days plus. How expensive would that be in our day and time? And this forms much of the background to the passage this morning. I say that because the Bible portrays this love relationship between the bridegroom and the bride to that which exists between the Lord And his people we as a church we as God's people are betrothed to Christ he paid the dowry for her if I can put it that way he has bought the price uh, he has bought the bride the hymn writer puts it like this from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died and so he has paid the price the dairy for his bride. But what has happened is that we are now separated from him. We are in that interval of separation between the engagement and the wedding feast. The period when we await the arrival of the groom to take his bride away. And during that waiting period, the bride, or we as the church, have to make ourselves ready for the wedding feast, why? because at the end of the period of separation, the bridegroom will come accompanied by his angels to receive the bride. And then the wedding feast will begin, the party will begin, which will not last just one or two weeks, but for all eternity. We read in verse seven, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You see, the bride prepares herself for the coming of the bridegroom placing the emphasis on god's people to prepare themselves and be ready for the coming of the bridegroom in other words it's our responsibility to live for jesus and in that way be prepared for this marriage feast and this is what the church longs for doesn't it in fact the time when the church in heaven longs for as well They long for it because it will herald in the end of the age. It will herald in the end of evil where Babylon is destroyed and together with the beast and false prophet and the dragon who will be cast into the lake of fire as we saw last week. And in that destruction will come vindication for all that the church has suffered while here on earth. And so Revelation 19 highlights the fact that there will be this wedding feast at the end of the age. And what I want to highlight this morning is how the Lord's Supper relates to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so can we have that uh, slide, please? Notice first the prize at the wedding supper, and then how it points forward to the wedding supper, and then those who are at the supper, the people, and then finally preparing for the supper. First prize at the wedding supper. Verse 6 to 8, John tells us that there's this great prize, there's this great shouting. No doubt music is being sung at the feast. There's this great amount of singing. The Christian faith is a singing faith amongst other things. The psalms are psalms that speak of singing. They were sung by God's people we've seen in Revelation. That it speaks of the singing that takes place in heaven amongst those who are gathered around the throne. We've seen how they sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb in chapter 15 and the worship and prize around the throne of God in chapter 7 and so on. And here in heaven, we find that it's a great place of praise and worship. We, you know, we hear people say, I've been to this church or that church and there's some great worship. Well, that's nothing compared to the worship that's going to be around the throne. At the wedding of the Lamb, we also have the last hymn in the Bible, in chapter 19. John tells us that voices are praising God and there's a great multitude of people and angels and he describes it as the voice of many waters and the voice like loud peals of thunder." What John is doing here is that he's using examples from our world so that we can catch a glimpse and even try to understand of what these voices sound like. If you can imagine, if you've been to Niagara Falls like I have, you know, the the thunder of the sound of those waters falling into the lake below you can hardly hear yourself speaking and that's what john is trying to describe but not only will there be loud singing and sounds like thunder and so on and so forth there will be sweet sounding music as well like you and i have never heard before think of the best music that you've heard and it will not compare to what awaits us in heaven as we sing with the redeemed One writer says, the universe was created for this moment of praise. And the words of the song carry with them the reason of why there is singing in heaven. Look at verse 6. It's because our God, the El Shaddai, God Almighty, reigns. Here's the reason for the singing. Now we spoke last week about his power and here it is affirmed again the power of El Shaddai, the power of God Almighty, who destroys Babylon, the beast, the false prophet, and the dragon. And the song also praises God because history has reached its conclusion and the marriage of the Lamb is taking place. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. God's plan to claim a people for himself has arrived. It's been completed and it has arrived. That period of separation is no longer. And the bridegroom has now claimed his bride and the banquet, the party has begun. And what we realize is that this wedding banquet which takes place which takes place at the end of history was also spoken about long before it can come into being. Jesus, for example, as I said before, referred to the wedding feast in that passage that we read to us from Matthew's Gospel. The text told us about the Lord's Supper and how Jesus celebrated the Passover for the last time with his disciples. I don't know if you picked it up from the text, but Jesus says to his disciples that the Lord's Supper speaks of the reality of heaven. Jesus speaks there of the drinking of the fruit of the wine in the kingdom of heaven. We read in verse 29 that at the end of the supper, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine from now on until the day that I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. He's referring to the marriage feast of the lamb, isn't he? To The drinking of the fruit of the wine at the wedding feast as Reve- spoken of in Revelation 19. And as we come to the table this morning, this is one of the truths that Christ would bring home to us just as he did to his disciples in the upper room and that is that this supper the Lord's Supper points forward to another feast that is yet to come that will be celebrated in the kingdom of God the wedding feast of the Lamb in other words the Lord's Supper brings before us the hope that we have as God's people the hope of heaven which the Lord has promised to all those who are joined to Jesus Christ in fight. And I trust you realize that when the Bible speaks of this hope, it speaks of a certainty. It doesn't speak of hope in the sense that you and I would speak of hope where we hope to do this and we hope to do that. There's a sense of uncertainty. Not so. When you speak of the hope of heaven, it's speaking about the certainty of heaven. Now let me just say in passing that in speaking of a feast in heaven or the wedding banquet or the wedding feast of the Lamb we don't know if the scripture is speaking in literal terms of a feast. Most believe that's unlikely or if it's using figurative language to refer to the joy and the celebration of being in heaven for all eternity gathered around the throne praising and worshipping God which is very likely what it is. Either way we we know that it speaks of eternal joy and praise that's why the text says let us rejoice and be glad so let me ask does the anticipation of heaven bring you much joy if you're a Christian does that anticipation does that hope do something within you in the midst of all the stuff that we go through in life all the pain and the frustrations does it help you cope and deal with the ugly stuff that life brings? Because you know in your heart of hearts that the best is yet to come. This hope of heaven that the gospel holds out. So remember this when you go through tough times in life and you're facing the struggles that you're facing. Remember that they are temporary, that heaven awaits. Heaven awaits you in knowing Jesus. And there's a promise of rejoicing and gladness when all the stuff we go through will not only be forgotten but you wouldn't even remember that they existed. And you think back and you will praise God for his goodness to you. Notice secondly then, not only the prize at the wedding supper but what it points forward to. I don't know if you've thought of the Lord's Supper in these terms when we come to the Lord's table. This is one of the things we are reminded about, we are reminded of heaven. In other words, there is something of the supper that looks forward to. It looks forward to heaven. Often we tend to focus on the other aspects of the Lord's Supper. We tend to look back at the death of Christ. We tend to look to the present and what it means to us today. We look back for example and we remember and that's good, and that's needful. We see from Matthew's Gospel again that Jesus and his disciples, they were looking back because they were celebrating the Passover meal. For them it was a meal that looked back and remembered God's deliverance of his people from Egypt and from slavery. And we see there that Jesus points out to his disciples that his death at Calvary would be the fulfillment of the passover meal that they were celebrating he says this is my body and this is my blood of the covenant he is the passover lamb who was sac who would be sacrificed and so there's jesus and his disciples gathering around the table and they were looking back at what god did when he freed his people out of egypt and so we too look back do we not as we partake of the lord's supper we look back and we remember The death of Jesus. We remember Calvary. We read the words of Jesus as we come to the table. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread and the wine are tangible symbols of his broken body and shed blood. And this is one of the primary truths of the Lord's table. It is that we look back and we remember the death of the Savior on our behalf. Who gave his life for us. That we might be forgiven and receive eternal life. But then we also realize, as we come to the table, that we look to the present, what's happening now. Not only do we look back, but we look to the present. I say that because the Lord's Supper speaks of the fellowship we have with the Lord Jesus. And not only the Lord Jesus, but amongst ourselves as well. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, Paul in speaking of the Lord's Supper says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation or a fellowship in the blood of christ so we fellowship with christ is not the bread he goes on to say that we break a participation or fellowship in the body of christ amongst us acts chapter 2 verse 42 in speaking to new believers that were added to the church luke says they continued steadfastly In the apostles doctrine and fellowship and with the breaking of bread and we see that in 1 John 1 and verse 3 as well he says we proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us that's on the horizontal level and our fellowship is with the father and the son the vertical level so there again we have this word fellowship and that's what we do thinking of the present it's used time and time again to speak of our fellowship with Jesus and the fellowship with one another so in its biblical use that word means a sharing with others in something it stands for our joint participation in Christ so it not only speaks of our fellowship with the Lord because of what he did for us but also our fellowship with each other so when we come to the table focus on these truths so we look back we look to the present but we also look to the future we look ahead to look ahead to the hope that awaits us who belong to his kingdom Jesus says to his disciples that there will come a time when they will celebrate with him drinking of the fruit of the wine in his father's kingdom He was giving them hope in the light of his impending death. He was saying that there is hope for your future. That they would celebrate with him in heaven. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Why? So you can celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb with me. They will see you, you will see me again when I come and in heaven we'll celebrate this wedding feast of the Lamb. You see this was their hope and that is your hope and mine in belonging to Jesus. And Jesus says those words to his disciples because they were concerned, they were sad. Because you're speaking of his departure. When I was when I left Sri Lanka as a young teenager, I was pretty upset. I was uh, upset because I knew that I would not see my friends again, or oh, I thought I would not see my friends again. Those who I played cricket with and mixed around with and uh, messed around with during the week and so on and so forth. But you see, if I realized that. I would have the opportunity to fly over there whenever I want to and go and meet up with them or meet them in Australia or wherever. I wouldn't have felt that sad or that upset leaving my country. When the Lord Jesus left his disciples and ascended into heaven, it was not the end of hope for them. It was not the last time they would see him. It was not the onslaught of depression. Why? because he taught them that he will certainly return that they will go to be with him in the mansion that he has prepared for them and we see that part of that teaching here in the Lord's Supper and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 we read that every time we come to the table, do we not? Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we eat and drink It's saying to us that Jesus is coming back. This is not something that we will do forever and ever. It is only temporary. It's till the Lord comes back. So this is a table of hope, isn't it? And it's interesting how this truth is highlighted in the gospels as well and not just here in Revelation. Uh, Jesus has a conversation, for example, at the home of a Pharisee and he's speaking to him about giving a banquet and inviting those who are uh, uh, disadvantaged to attend rather than inviting friends and relatives and he went on to say to him that in doing this although these disadvantaged people could not repay him that he would be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous and when he said that one of the others who were at the table says Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You see this feast or this wedding banquet was a frequent figure for the coming messianic era. There was an expectation among the Jews that Messiah's glory and his victory would be expressed in the form of a wedding banquet. That Jehovah had promised this wonderful banquet when he would destroy death, and the people would live, and his people would live for all eternity. So can you see how the gospel is encapsulated in the Lord's Supper? In all that the Lord's Supper means and points to, we have the gospel. A gospel which tells us that heaven awaits God's people, and that sin and evil is going to be destroyed permanently one day, and Satan or the dragon will also be destroyed. One writer points out that there there was a belief among some of the Jewish teachers that this many-headed serpent that's referred to as the dragon in Revelation 20, that he would be slain and served as food at the banquet. That's a bit of trivia for you. But here at the Last Supper, Jesus wasn't building on the Passover feast or he wasn't just building on the Passover feast and the fact that his death would be fulfilled in it, he was also pointing to heaven. The anticipation that in the kingdom of Christ all God's people will share in this marriage feast. He was speaking in terms of Revelation 19 and what John tells us about. So the Lord's Supper is an anticipation, isn't it? It points beyond itself to something bigger than itself. In fact, the Lord's Supper resounds with the truth until he comes, until he comes. Horatius Bonner, who wrote that old hymn about the Lord's Supper, he says, feast after feast, thus comes and passes by yet passing points to that great feast above giving sweet foretaste of the festal joy the lamb's great bridal feast of bliss and love we've seen the prize and what it points forward to notice thirdly the people at the supper Here jesus says to his disciples i tell you i will not drink of this fruit of the wine from now on until that day when i drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom now who's the with you obviously in the first place it speaks about the disciples he's speaking to his disciples but we know from scripture that there will be others who will also be at this wedding feast of the lamb we've seen that as we've looked through the book of revelation for example in verses 1 and 6 of our text this morning it points out to the the fact that there will be a great multitude in heaven in other words those who are the people of God all those who have been joined to Jesus in faith while on earth they will be present with him in heaven that's the great multitude all those who have come to him in repentance and faith and become part of his of the earthly bride all those people will celebrate with him in heaven we know this also for example in the parable that Jesus told in Luke 14, the wedding, the parable of the wedding banquet. And their invitations are sent out and people refused to come to the feast. And so the host sends out his servants to the street and he says, compel the disadvantaged and the poor to come to the feast. You see, Jesus was illustrating that in certain cases, the invitation is given but not accepted. With the consequence that those who declined exclude themselves from this kingdom banquet. We see that today, do we not? People reject the gospel. They reject Christ in the gospel. Only, and it's only those who accept this invitation, says Jesus. Only those who come to God through Christ to him will be at this feast or in heaven. And John in our passage is more specific. Look at verse 9. He says, the angel said to me, write... Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now the ESV doesn't really translate the Greek too well there when it says those who are invited. It should read those who are called to the wedding feast. In other words, John is talking about effectual calling because the people who have been truly called by God will respond to the invitation. That's known as effectual calling. And those people, John tells us, would be from every tribe, every nation, every people and language. Revelation 7 and verse 14 is also specific about those who will be in heaven. All those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. My friends, the most pressing question a person could ask is being answered in that verse is it not the question of how do i get to heaven and the answer is you need to have a wash you need to have a bath if i can put it that way a wash in blood in the blood of jesus which he shed for sinners at calvary in other words you cannot enter heaven not having your sins forgiven you cannot enter heaven unless you've come to god through christ and asked him to forgive you of your sin no one can do that for you. No priest, no pastor, no one. You have to do it yourself. And God stands ready to forgive those who come to Him in repentance and faith. And you will have your wash in His blood. So here's something to look forward to, isn't it? When together with all God's people, we'll celebrate this feast. All our loved ones and our friends who have died and gone to glory, those whom we long to see again, those who are in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And this is what God is doing with your life and with mine. He is fitting us for heaven. He has created us for this very reason that we be like Him and we live with Him. And this is the longing of our lives, or it should be, as we live in a messed up world with all its suffering, sickness, and evil. It was C.S. Lewis who reached this fascinating conclusion, and I quote him. He says, if our deepest desires cannot be satisfied in this world, then we must have been made for another world, Unquote. In other words let me ask have you accepted the invitation to the wedding feast have you come to jesus have you given your life to him and do you now seek to follow him and serve him because only those who have accepted this invitation only those who've embraced him in the gospel will be at this wedding banquet And then finally, and very quickly, preparing for the feast. How can we prepare for this feast? Well, verse seven gives us the answer. It tells us that the bride makes herself ready for the feast. Notice that her clothing is is fine linen, bright and clean. And we looked at that last week. We are told that that clothing is the righteous acts of the saints. And that seems contradictory, doesn't it? But you see, what it's saying is that the bride's righteous acts or good deeds are those which flow from her, having been chosen as the bride. In other words, it's speaking of the good deeds that flow from our justification. It's speaking about our sanctification. When God by his spirit works in our lives and we do righteous deeds through his grace as a result of it. So sanctification, in other words, is the result of our justification. We do good deeds because we are saved, but not in order to be saved. Fight alone saves, but a fight that saves is never alone. And it's in that sense that our good deeds which flow from our salvation are given to us. In other words the bride receives her dress from jesus and she responds by living and working for him through the grace that's given to her as verse 8 points out or she puts on the garment and she lives appropriately that's how we prepare for this feast the work of jesus in saving us must be reflected in our lives through the true obedience and good works so as I close let me ask if you are a Christian or you profess to be one does your life show it in your everyday living is it easy for others to recognize that you are a Jesus person that you know him and that you follow him during morning tea someone said to me that he went through a stage in his life for a few weeks where he worked seven days a week. And his boss came up to him and said, why are you different to the others? Are you a Christian? He said, yes. He says, well, why aren't you at church on the Sunday and not at work? You see, people observe our lives even though they may not say so or we may not realise it. So can they tell by your words and deeds, your response to people in your relationships, your attitude and love that is show sure to others, does it stand out? When you walk into a room with people or if you are talking in a group of people, can they recognize, can they discern that you are somewhat different? Not for the sake of being different. Perhaps by the way you relate to them, your talk, your attitude, your interest in their lives, and so on. That is the bride preparing herself for the wedding. And we need to be constantly switched on to the fact that we are ambassadors for Jesus and so we don't drift along aimlessly in life living for ourselves. The call of the gospel for those who have been changed by the gospel is the, is the fact that we reflect the Gospel, we n- reflect the love and, the, and the, the life of Jesus in our own living. That's how we make ourselves ready for the supper of the Lamb. And in doing that, our righteous acts become the adornment of the bride, our adornment for the wedding day, so that Christ can present us, the church, holy and blameless, beautiful, as brides are at the wedding supper that's the call of the life change through the gospel of Jesus and so as I've said this supper past the uh, points to the past it relates to the changed life at conversion it speaks of the present speaks about our fellowship with Jesus and with each other and it speaks of the future as we look forward to his coming the celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb And that's what we recognize as we come to the table this morning. But before we do, let's sing the song, Behold the Lamb, as we prepare our minds and our hearts to come to the table. Let's stand as we sing.